And um, uh, I'm glad it's warm outside and sunshiny and a whole lot better weather than the good old uh, weather we've had in the past. Well, listen, um, so I have, um, well, let me get my life together here real quick. Give me two seconds. All right, you got to love technology. So I need to ask you guys a question. If I can get my mind to work, I will be doing good. So here we go. Uh, let me ask you something. One thing I've noticed in life is one of the most unselfish people in the world are babies. Does anybody believe that? Some of y'all are looking at No, y'all don't believe babies are unselfish? Yeah, I've kind of noticed that babies aren't, uh, they're, ne- they're not necessarily selfless. They're very selfish about that. I mean, I know those cute, cuddly little babies you'll hold in your arm, but when you put them down, what do they start doing? Crying, right? They want you to hold them, all right? We, I'm, I'm glad our son's back from college, but I tell you what, he was a tough baby. He cried a lot. He had that RSV virus. My wife's looking at me, but you know, there was times I was up at 2 in the morning. He'd be asleep on my chest, and I was in seminary and all that stuff, long days, and working two jobs, and I would put him down the crib and immediately, Wah! I was just like, oh, you know, things like that. You know, babies are selfish. I'm sorry. They want a bottle, and they want it now, right? They don't want to wait on their bottle. They want to sleep. They want to go to sleep now, and they start crying and things like that and things like that. And in fact, I have to say, as parents, we probably know this, as they grow up, it actually gets worse. The, the thing is, they can tell you what they want, and they do tell you what they want, Right? They're always saying, I want this, I want that. In fact, uh, if you have, if you, have you know, a couple kids, you probably hear them fight a lot, right? And they're like, no, it's mine. No, I want that. They won't give me what. And again, you just hear this over and over and over again and things like that. Let's just face it, you all. We are selfish people, right? As we get to be adults, we're still selfish people. You know, a neighbor of Abraham Lincoln, back when he lived in Springfield, Illinois, uh, was drawn to his door uh, one day, this neighbor, and he looked out and he saw Abraham Lincoln and his children were there and his children were, uh, were, were his two sons were crying and they were fighting. And uh, so the man kind of called out from his door to Abe as he was walking by. He said, what is the matter with the boys? And Abraham Lincoln replied, well, I have three walnuts and each boy wants two. So here they were fighting over the fact he didn't have four walnuts. He had three, but each one wanted two. So they're fighting over these things because just naturally we are selfish. When we don't get our way, we cry about it, right? As we get older, we have different ways of showing that we're, we're not uh, happy because we're not getting our way. We start wanting to seek revenge, right? If somebody doesn't give me what I want, I look for ways to, to have revenge on that like, and things like that. Let me think about Christmas morning when you're growing up. How many times did you fight be- with your kids or your kids fought because they didn't get what they wanted on Christmas morning? You know, you get them all these nice gifts and they don't get that one special toy and they're all upset like that. The reality is we want our way. When you get at work, sometimes people get fighting at work because everybody wants their own way. Now, you know, if, if you've ever struggled with church, one thing I have to tell you about church is we're not perfect. And some of you maybe in the past have left the church because you notice that inside the church just, just as much fighting as outside the church. In fact, inside the church, some of the worst things in the church are business meetings. I am not a fan of church business meetings. All right? 
Uh, you know, I'm glad we don't have them here very often. We, we, we've not had any nasty church business meetings. Uh, the church I pastored in Alabama, we had a business meeting every month. I was like, come on, folks, you know, and we finally got that changed. But, you know, sometimes in business meetings, I mean, people get upset. And I hate to say it, and y'all may not like me using this word in church, but sometimes Christians are real jerks. All right, sometimes they just really are. They get into all sorts of fights and things like that. You get people in church who want the spotlight. I heard of a, a church that had a split because that one deacon got a bigger piece of roast beef than the other deacon. And they got into a fight over that. Now, fortunately, Bobby and Tom, they just duke it out. And, uh, and, and they usually they get it settled. But, you know, the reality is, I mean, even in the church of all people, we are the most selfish people. And we will trample over people to get a promotion. I, I watched a movie this weekend with my father called The Founder, which was about um, Roy Kroc, who, uh, he didn't start McDonald's. He basically stole McDonald's. Uh, if you know the story, uh, he was a, a salesman who sold milkshake machines. And he was just eking out a living selling milkshake machines, the mixers, you know. This is back in the 50s. And he got this order uh, from the McDonald's brothers who had opened up a hamburger stand in San Bernardino, California, and they wanted six machines. So he called me. He's like, nobody wants six milkshake machines. Nobody orders that many milkshake machines. I can't even sell one to most of these people. And he gets uh, one of the McDonald's brothers on the phone. He says, actually, we need eight. And so Roy Kroc's like, i got to figure out what these guys are doing. So he drives all the way across country to San Bernardino to check out what these guys are doing. And uh, he kind of makes up a fib that he's there on a business meeting. And anyways, they actually say, well, you want to see what we do? And so they basically tell the story of how they took McDonald's. They had several failed businesses, and they opened McDonald's, and it was failing like other places. And they were trying to figure out what to do. And they kind of, it's a kind of a really cool thing where they went out to a tennis court, and they drew out lines, and they kind of basically basically went and, pro and had people out there acting like they were making things. Basically, they built the system of McDonald's, and they told the whole story about how McDonald's happened. And now, that little hamburger joint in San Bernardino, people were just lined up to go get a hamburger. All they sold was a hamburger, fries, and shakes. In fact, when Roy went to the window, he said, well, I'll have a hamburger, I'll have your fry and shake. The guy goes, okay, and turns around and hands him a bag. He's like, wait a minute, I, that's somebody else's order. No, that's your order. Because see, back in those days, some of y'all remember, you went to the drive-thru, you waited 5, 10, 20, even 30 minutes. And so, long story short, Roy Kroc, basically, he gets them to franchise it. He fails, it a, he fails franchising, he's losing money, and an accountant says, you know your problem? He says, you need to just buy land and so what happens, long story short, is he set up the McDonald's Corporation. And basically, if you don't know this, McDonald's is not a fast food company. It's a real estate company. McDonald's is one of the largest holders of real estate in the world. And Roy Kroc couldn't change how McDonald's was doing their system because of the contracts he signed. So what he did is he started buying land. He would sell the land to franchisees who would pay him for the land. And then he also got a cut off what they made. And he basically started buying land. And ultimately, at the one point in the movie, he is bigger than the McDonald's brothers by far. And there's a scene at the end where the McDonald's brothers, he basically says, here's a blank check. I'm giving you because I want to buy you out. And one of the McDonald's brothers, he, he, he's in this conversation. The McDonald's brother's like, we just can't believe you've done this to us. You've stolen our business and all this stuff. And he says, let me ask you a question. He says, if your enemy is drowning, would you go help him out? Or would you put a fire hose in his mouth and kill him? 
And one of the McDonald's brothers, who was really a kind of a kind hard guy, says, man, I, I, just, I would help him out. He says, I would, and I put a fire hose in his mouth. Bottom line, I'm selfish. I want your business. And he bought him out. And so that, that is really how McDonald's today, one of the largest, is basically a real estate company. They just sell hamburgers. Okay, some of y'all, that may have been the biggest thing you got out of this morning's message. Okay, he's like, wow, I never knew that about McDonald's. But that's really, it's a very interesting movie about that. Bottom line, I, I wasn't meaning to tell that illustration. Bottom line is, we're just selfish people. Just selfish people. Naturally, that's what we are. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James. Uh, because here's the thing. James is, even though we have this age of technology, the bottom line is the human heart has not changed. And so James, apparently, he's, he's the leader of the church. He's a half-brother of Jesus. And James is looking at the church. And even though he's dealing with Christ followers, people who have responded to Jesus Christ and changed their, their, their hearts, they've responded to Christ, Christ has changed their hearts. And he's seeing that still there's a lot of selfish people in this church. And, and so he is seeing a syndrome out here. And so I called this syndrome this morning the me, me, me syndrome. Even in the church, James is looking at the church and he sees a lot of people with the me, me, me syndrome. And here's the big point I want to share with you this morning. Here it is. It's very simple. Me, me, me makes God mad. Me, me, me makes God mad. That's basically what James is saying here. So, so, so I don't know if you've heard the story, but there was a man who was stranded on an island. And uh, this guy finally, he, he, he comes to this island and he finds this man who'd been stranded on this island for a number of years. And, and the guy says, oh, I'm so glad you found me. I've been on this island for 20 years. And he said, I'm so glad I can, I can go home. And, and so uh, the guy gets off the boat and, and the man says, come over here and I'll show you where I've lived. And so he, he shows him this hut and he said, this is my house. And the guy says, well, that's neat. And he said, but what are these other two huts? I thought you were alone. He goes, well, that one right there is where I go to church. So I built a hut for my church. So I go over there and have church in that hut. He goes, well, that's neat. I'm glad you worship and things like that. He said, what's the other hut for? He said, that's where I used to go to church. Okay. So the bottom line is we're just selfish people and we want our own way. So what causes Christ followers to have the me, me, me syndrome? And how can we stop the me, me, me syndrome? So here's what James says. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what he says. He asks a question. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you. So obviously James has heard and obviously James has seen, and he was obviously there at the first council in Jerusalem, so he saw a lot of this. He has seen Christian Christ followers who are fighting with each other. And again, the human heart is always the same. So even today in our modern technology era, scripture still works because people today are just like they were in James' day. I mean, have you ever had a fight with your spouse over what you want versus what they want? Probably have, right? Uh, have you ever had a fight with your co-workers because they wanted this, you wanted this? Have you ever had a fight with your siblings? Have you ever had a fight with your parents? Have you ever had a fight with other people within the church? Anybody ever done that? Why do we do those things? Because we want what we want. Back in Alabama, I'll never forget this. We, we had, I mean, there are churches everywhere in Alabama. All right, Alabama is Southern Baptist Mecca. One-third of the population of Alabama claims to be Southern Baptist. All right? In our county alone, we had, at the time, 41 Southern Baptist churches. 
Now, a lot of them were little churches because it was a very rural county, so a lot of them were started back in the 1800s, and people would just ride their wagons to church and hitch up the horses. In fact, a lot of them you could still see where they would have picnics and stuff like that. And then, you know, right down the street, two miles away, be another one because people would ride their horses over there and hitch up their wagons and things like that. But one of the things that was very interesting to me was not too far away, you had Old Nazareth, and right across the street was New Nazareth. Because one time, years ago, the people at Nazareth Baptist Church got fighting with each other because one group wanted this and one group wanted that, and so they had a church split, so they became old, and the people went over here and created new. So even in the county, I would see all sorts of, of church splits and things like that where people would go away because, again, we, even in the church, we fight. So James asked this question, what is the source of this? What is causing you guys to have fights and things like that? Why is it that people who say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, why do we so often fight? Why is it that we who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit seldom show the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Why is it that those of us who claim that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, why is it that so often we don't exhibit those things? What is the cause of the Mimi syndrome? And here it is. James is going to give it. It is following our own evil desires. Even though you may have Christ as your Lord and Savior, even though you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the bottom line is you and I still have our sinful desires. Here's what James says. He starts with a rhetorical question. James loves to ask questions. Again, as we talked a few weeks ago, one of the ways we grow wise is you ask questions. And, and so James asks this question. He says, what is the source of quarrels and fights among you? And then he gives the answer. Don't they come, in the form of a question, he gives the answer. Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you. Let's just stop there for a second. You all know what a craving feels like? Some of y'all right now are craving fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy. All right, some of y'all are craving a nap because you love your Sunday afternoon nap. Amen? Anybody love the Sunday afternoon? Yeah, nothing better. Go home, put on the golf channel and fall asleep. Some of you are craving sweets. You're thinking about, oh, what kind of brownie we're going to have today at lunch or what's on the buffet over there at Golden Corral or things like that. It's not the buffet, it's the buffet. Some of you are craving those things. Some of you are craving just peace and quiet. I just want to go home and be quiet. All right, that's usually for parents of young kids. Some of you, like me, are craving a vacation. Yes, this time next Sunday after church, I will be leaving, and I'll miss you all, but um, I'm going to be gone and uh, suffering for the Lord. Uh, so um, Brother Richard's going to preach in a couple weeks, and uh, so I am excited about that. Thank you, Brother Richard, for preaching. I will send you the sermon this week to uh, practice on, and uh, I'm, I'm kidding. But... Uh, you know, so, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm craving a vacation. I can't wait just to chill out and things like that. Let's think about, you know what a craving feels like? It's that pull. That pull, you know. You smell that fried chicken, oh yeah. You know, or it's that pull just to go to sleep. I just can't wait to go to sleep. You have the cravings when you long for something and things like that. A craving cons consumes your thoughts. 
That's all you can think about. That's some of y'all, that's all you can think about right now is what are we going to eat for lunch, all right? You're craving those things and stuff like that. Your mouth starts to water, you know, your eyes start to droop and all those things. You're, it's a craving. So here, here's what James, look what James says. He says, the reason you and I, as Christ followers, fall into the me, me, me syndrome is because we have this evil desire within us that we crave. We have this war inside of us, and these cravings are inside of us. And so he says, you feel that longing to get what you want. You feel that pull to get what you want. Because here's the deal. The reason we all fight, even within the church, we shouldn't, but it's because we're we're following those cravings inside of us. Now, Christ followers are a little different. You might see a TV preacher who says, Hey, you know, you come to know Jesus, life's going to be great. That's not true. Sorry. You'll have joy because you know you're going to heaven. You have eternity that's secure. But don't think for a moment, hey, except Jesus, life's going to be easy. Because in fact, I would argue it might get even worse. Because here's what I would say. Here's one way you might say, I don't agree with that. Well, let me tell you one thing. Christ followers are at war inside of themselves. Unbelievers don't have those wars. They just go on and do their thing. They just follow their lusts. They just follow their passions. There's no war inside of them. But if you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit. And you also still have your sinful nature. And so your sinful nature has these cravings and the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 no. And you're having this war inside of you. So James says, look, what's causing all this stuff? Don't they come from those cravings that pull, those longings, those yearnings that are at war Within you, you still have a sinful nature and you're still having that battle inside of you. Again, a non-Christ follower doesn't really have those battles. They're just doing their thing. They don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them saying no. They're just doing their thing. And in fact, James isn't the only one to recognize this. Here's what Peter said. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. See, Peter knew that. Paul said this. Paul also knew that. He said this. I see a different law in parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind. And Paul's very transparent passage there in Romans 7 says, I'm having this war too. Because guess what? Even though he was an incredible apostle, he was still a man. He still had a sinful nature, and Paul says, yes, I struggle with it. Peter said, yes, I recognize it. James says, yes, right there it is. So what causes the me, me, me syndrome? It's when we keep following our own evil desires. See, the problem is, a lot of times as Christ followers, we let our desires, our own evil desires, take control. Here's what James says back in chapter 1. If you want to go back, you can, but I'll just throw it on the screen. He says, no one... Verse 13, chapter 1, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by what? His own evil desires. We still have them. 
And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly beloved brothers. I mean, do you all agree with me there's a war inside of you? Yeah. We all have a war. Because we still have the sin nature. At the same time, we have the Holy Spirit. And sin is the result, James says, of when we give in to that sinful nature... We give in to that temptation, and then we sin, and it leads to death. Again, let me just say this, as far as the church. The church is made up of sinful people. We're followers of Jesus. I would imagine everybody in here would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I've responded to Christ. But all of us in here still have a sinful nature. And all of us in here still struggles with those battles. And sometimes, unfortunately, in the church, the me, me, me syndrome breaks out because this group wants this and this group wants that. This group wants this color carpet. This group wants that color carpet. This church, this group wants this. This group wants that. And it breaks out. Again, because we still have a sinful nature. I mean, I just tell you, Christ followers can be really bad. Honestly. If you look at Christ followers and you've been let down by a Christ follower... Look, you need to look to Jesus. He's never going to let you down. But Christ followers can be really bad. If you don't believe me, look at what James says. He's talking to believers. Here's what he says. You desire and do not have. You murder. Now, some commentators debate whether they were actually killing people. Or if it was more, you know, Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You murder. You covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. I mean, look at those descriptions. Murder, covet, fighting, war. This is in the church. Why is it happening? Because Christ followers are following their own evil desires instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to drive them. Let me tell you, we are all about self-preservation, aren't we? The reason we do these things is because we're all about self-preservation. It's an interesting story. There was a um, French uh, novelist and playwright named Alexander Dumas. If you're a reader, you may have uh, heard of some of his stuff. And he had a quarrel with a rising young politician. Uh, and, um, and, and, and finally, the, both men were like, okay, we're just going to, in those days, we're going to have a duel. All right now, to me, nothing is worth shooting somebody or he's taking a bullet. But, well, I mean, other than fighting for your country. But, I mean, uh, uh, let's, my, let's resolve this another way. Can we, before we go out and shoot each other? But back in those days, people had a duel. And, um, and both of the men, Dumas and this young politician he was arguing with, were both very, very good shots. And so, you know, the day came for the duel, and... Um, and, and so they, they get together and they say, you know what, we're going to go behind closed doors and we're going to have this duel. And so they get in behind closed doors and Dumas lost the duel. And so pistol in hand, he withdrew in silent dignity to another room, closing the door behind him. The way, rest of the company waited in gloomy suspense for the shot that went in his career. So they both decide to draw, and they both decide to have a duel. So they go behind closed doors, and they're going to have this duel. And all of a sudden, everybody's standing outside the room, and they hear a shot. Bang! Everybody runs the door. Dumas opens it. 
walks out, smoking a revolver in his hand, and he said, gentlemen, the most regrettable thing has happened. I missed. So the reality is, you know, these two guys were going to fight it out, and Dumas missed, and it was over. But the reality is we want our own way. We all have that me, me, me syndrome. Let me give you a test. If you're like, how do I know if I have the me, me, me syndrome? Here's a test. Number one, if it's all about you. If everything in life is about you, you have the me, me, me syndrome. This is what I want. I want to do it this way. This is what I think. If it's all about you. If you go back to the text, James said this, you desire, you murder, you fight in war, you. Notice the you in there all the time. You, 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 you. See, a way to know if you've got the me, me, me syndrome is when it's all about you. Test number two. Another way to know if you have the me, me, me syndrome. God is not consulted. When you make decisions, if you're not consulting God, if you're not praying about it, you have the me, me, me syndrome. Notice what James says in our passage. You do not have because you do not ask. You might be like, well, Jim, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. You got it wrong. James has got it wrong. Because I do pray for what I want. Well, then there's test number three. If you say, I'm, I'm spiritual, Jim, and I, I pray. Well, test number three, just to see. If you pray about what you want, test number three is you ask with the wrong motives. So how do you know if you have the me, me, me syndrome when everything's always about you? Number two, you do not consult God. And if you say, I do, then the test number three is, then are you asking with the right motives? Because James says the problem is, you ask with the wrong motives. Look at verse 3. He says, you ask, and you don't receive, and here's why. Because you ask with the wrong motives. Listen, just because you pray doesn't mean you're spiritual. Some of y'all may have right? You know, tweet that one out. Just because you pray doesn't mean you're spiritual. Because if you're asking with the wrong motives, then it's the wrong thing, okay? Again, so causes of the me, me, me syndrome. We're following our own evil desires. When it's all about you, when you don't pray, or when you do pray, you pray with the wrong motives, you've got the me, me, me syndrome. We're following our own desires. But there's another cause of the me, me, me syndrome, and that is this. When you and I are following culture. Because the reason so many times we give in to our own evil desires is when we're following the culture, the world, the world system around us. I mean, James, he's been asking some questions, and, and, and he's, he's really been leading up, but here comes the shotgun blast. Look at verse 4. I mean, he just is brutal. Here, here's what he says. Adulteresses. Wow. I mean, he's saying this to Christ followers. He's saying, adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. You see, the me, me, me syndrome is driven not by God. It's driven by the culture. It's driven by the world, which plays into our own evil desires. Why is it playing into our own evil desires? Because the world follows its own evil desires. And Christ followers who have the Holy Spirit still have the sinful nature, and it's so easy to plug into the world. The culture feeds our own evil desires. Okay, let me ask you a question if you don't believe me. True or false? Our culture lives and is based on the me, me, me syndrome. True. Now, thank you. You can look at the TV, right? It's all about me. 
It's all about what I want, what I can get, all right? Politicians, guess what they do to get elected? They promise to take care of you, right? That's how they get elected. Why, why do they make those promises? Because at the end, it's all about me. What's he going to give me? He's going to bring home the bacon, right? Why do they promise those things? Because they want to get elected, all right? We are promised when we're growing up, if you work hard, you can have the American dream, right? So why do we work hard? Because I want the American dream. Because it's all about me. When you watch TV commercials, who are they about? Me, right? This bud's for you. You deserve a break today. If it feels good, do it, right? It's all about me, all right? And look at our colleges today. We have safe zones in our college. Why do we have safe zones? Because it's all about me. I can't deal with somebody disagreeing with me, so I've got to run to my safe zone. Again, our world today is all about me. And again, as a Christ follower, you and I still have a sinful nature, and so it's real easy to fall into those cravings that pull because we start following culture, and that just easily dovetails right into following our own evil desires. I mean, here's the deal, Christ followers. When you and I do that, we're at war within ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit saying no, culture saying yes, and we're trying to follow culture, and there's a war within ourselves. And James says, let me tell you what you are. Just, I'm just going to cut to the chase. If you, as a Christ follower, are in the me, me, me syndrome, you are an adulteress. Pretty, pretty tough. Why does he call us adulteress? Because he says you're being unfaithful to God. You're being unfaithful to God. We're unfaithful to God when our desires are focused on following the world's desires. We're unfaithful to God when our desire is about me, 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 rather than about following God. Now James, again, who loves to ask questions, he asks another question in verse 5. He says, Or do you think it's without reason that the Scripture says that the Spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? Now what's the expected answer? No, it's not without reason. Because yes, the Spirit yearns. God wants you to give yourself wholly to Him. Why? Because He died for you. He sent His Son to die for you. He adopted you into His family. God says, I love you with everything I have. And, and, and when God sees you and I following our own evil desires, God's jealous for that. God wants you to ask Him for wisdom. God wants you to make sure that you're pure in your motives. God wants you to seek His will. Now, fortunately, James doesn't leave on such a harsh note. And he ends, and next week we're going to flesh this out a lot deeper. So this is kind of a two-part series. But the question is, how do I cure the me, me, me syndrome? Because all of us can fall prey to it, right? We all have sinful natures. We all have to deal with culture. So how do we deal with this? Well, there's one word, and next week we're going to flesh, flesh out completely all that that means. But it's this, humility. At the end of the day, the way you and I have to fight the me, me, me culture is humility. Even though James has been really harsh, and maybe right now you kind of feel beat up because you're like, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, kind of got that me, me, me culture going on in my life. I'm following culture. I'm all about 
whatever the world says is okay, that's what I do. And yet inside you've got this war going on inside of you because the Holy Spirit keeps saying that's wrong. Even though James has really been harsh calling us adulterers and saying you kill and you covet and you fight and you war. I mean, he's just been nailing it. He ends on a little bit softer note. Here's what he says in verse 8. He says, but he, God, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you look at James's letter, humility goes all the way through James's letter. If you look at that letter, humility's all the way through it. You know, you've probably heard the name uh, Booker T. Washington. If y'all know the name, pretty big name in the South. And uh, Booker T. Washington was the uh, president of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. And he was walking one day through a very exclusive area of town when he was stopped. I mean, Booker T. Washington was a black man. This is in the 1800s. He was stopped by a very wealthy white woman. He was in an exclusive area of town. She didn't recognize him as Booker T. Washington. So she asked him, hey, would you like to earn a few extra dollars by chopping wood for me? He didn't have anything pressing at the moment. So Professor Washington, president of Tuskegee University, rolled up his sleeves and said, sure. And he went into her house and he chopped wood for her. And he carried logs into the house and he stacked them by the fireplace. And while he was stacking logs, a little girl recognized him. She recognized this was Booker T. Washington. And later after he left, she went to the lady and she said, ma'am, that was Booker T. Washington, the president of Tuskegee Universe, a nationally known figure. The next morning, the woman goes to Booker T. Washington's office. She's embarrassed, and she apologized profusely for treating him like maybe just a common guy on the street, assuming he was just a poor man looking for work. And he said to the woman, he said, that's okay, ma'am. He says, occasionally I enjoy a little manual labor Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly, walked out of the office, and not long afterwards, she went back to her society of wealthy friends and persuaded them to join her in making large contributions to the Institute. Why? Because Booker T. Washington, a man of much power and prominence, rolled up his sleeves and chopped wood. That's humility. That's humility. So here's a question I need to ask you. Next week we're going to flush this thing out, flash this thing out more about how do we cure this. But let me ask you this as we wrap up. Do you have signs of the me, me, me syndrome? Are you guilty of allowing your own evil desires to control you? Are you seeing yourself constantly fighting with other believers because you want your way? Are you quarreling with other believers? Are you covening what other believers have? Are you murdering? Maybe not in the literal sense, because if that's the case, we've got problems. But in the sense of you're just hateful towards people, because Jesus said, if you hate your brother, it's guilty of murder. Are you guilty of not seeking God in prayer? Or now, are you guilty of when you pray, it's all about this is what I want because this is what I want for me? 
Do you show signs of the me, me, me syndrome? Now, there's good news. If you go back to ver the, the verse, James says, God gives grace to the humble. You know what that word grace means? It means getting what I do not deserve. Getting what I do not deserve. So James says, look, you, you may be messed up and quarreling and fighting, but I'm telling you, if you'll humble yourself, God will give you what you do not deserve. He gives you grace. Of course, the biggest part of grace is salvation, right? None of us deserves that. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he gives you grace. What does that look like? He forgives you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're like, God, I've been guilty of the me, me, me syndrome. He'll forgive. If you're like, God, I've been unfaithful to you. I've been an adulteress. Because I've been faithful to the world and not faithful to you. If you humble yourself, his grace is reconciliation. Repair that relationship. So again, if you've been guilty of allowing your own evil desires, if you've been guilty of coveting and murdering and, and all those things and quarreling and not seeking God in prayer, if you're guilty of those things, I know what's going on inside of you because I've experienced this too. You've got a war going on inside of you right now. You've got a war going on inside of you. And you're very frustrated right now. And you can stop that. Because right now you have this war because you desire and you do not have. Going back to the text, you murder and covet, but you cannot obtain. You fight and war, you do not have. You ask and you don't receive. Right now, if, you, if you're trying to play both sides of the, the thing because of the me, me, me syndrome, you've got a war going on inside of you. If you want to stop it, it stops with humility. Do you have signs of the me, me syndrome? Let me, let me just ask you, what would it, what would it look like if, if you and I, when we start giving into this, if we would just get on our face and say, God, I'm a sinner, and I've been buying into the world's message when it's all about me, when it's really all about you, what would it look like if you said, God, forgive me? God, I'm going to stop listening to the world's message and I'm going to start living to you. God, I am going to allow the Holy Spirit to live through me. I want to exhibit that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience. What would it look like if you and I would let the Holy Spirit have control? Well, I'll tell you what it looked like. You'd stop quarreling. You'd stop fighting. You'd stop coveting. You'd stop being prayerless. Prayerlessness, you stop having wrong motives, and you stop having hateful attitudes. That's what it looked like. So do you have signs of the me, me, me syndrome? Let's pray. Father, all of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, we still have this sinful nature. And at times, we get following our own evil desires and we start living out the me, me, me syndrome. And God, maybe there's some people right now this morning that are kind of butting heads because it's always about us rather than about you living through us. Maybe there's some here this morning that are trying to live with one foot in the world Father, that's so frustrating for Christ's followers. I pray that they'll repent, humble themselves, and return to you.
Father, for those right now who have that war going on in their soul, it's simply because they're following their own evil desires. I pray that they'll repent and say, okay, God, I'm turning it over to you. I'm not going to follow the flesh. I want the Holy Spirit to live through me. I want to have kindness. I want to be gentle. Give me that self-control. Father, I'm going to trust you to live through me. Father, there may be some here this morning that just need to spend a few moments in quietness doing business with you. Break our hearts.